turn to your neighbor and wish him a happy new year. All right. You can tell it's a little mellow in the room. The coffee machine has been broken for weeks. We have some kangry people. You've heard of hangry. We got kangry. They don't have their caffeine, so you're going to have to pray for your neighbor as they get through it. That's why I had Drew preach for me last Sunday. I figured without a coffee machine, I didn't need that audience, and I still got it coming back at me today. So you pray for those around you who are kangry, right? Here we go. We are starting a new sermon series called Picture Perfect. For this generation, you may not recognize what that is on the screen there. That cross is made up of what were called Polaroids during our generation. Your mom, your dad, your grandparents, right? Uh, those were how we took pictures. We didn't have iPhones. We didn't get to have digital pictures. We had to actually take pictures. And what we're going to see in this sermon series are the holy divine pictures that God gives us of who he is and what he's done. Pictures, they say, are worth a thousand words. The power of pictures. Here's some pictures from our nation's history. I hope you're still getting these in textbooks today. Uh, this is the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima, a very significant time in our nation's history. This next picture, a powerful picture in Washington, D.C., as that would all be lined with people and would listen to one of the greatest speeches ever about a dream that Martin Luther King Jr. had, a dream that I pray comes to fulfillment more and more every day. This picture was on the cover of Time magazine. It was V-Day. We finally had victory. The war had come to an end, and there was this dramatic kiss of two strangers right there in Times Square. And then there's this powerful, sad picture that speaks of John F. Kennedy Jr., who is saluting as his dad's casket is passing by, a powerful, poignant picture from our nation's history. And then there are other pictures like this next one of uh, something we thought we'd never, ever see in our lifetime, a man walking on the moon. And then there are pictures that remind us of tragedy and difficulties as we see the picture of the Twin Towers being hit by two different planes where 2,800 people would lose their life in one day. These pictures are powerful pictures of human history. They remind us of things that have happened in our lifetime and what we have experienced. Pictures are powerful. And as we look at those pictures, we understand where we've been, maybe how we got to where we are today, but as we get into this sermon series, we're going to look at God's pictures, God's photo album. And I would submit to you that the Bible is not a textbook, it's more of a photo album. It's God presenting to you pictures so that you can learn more than a thousand words could ever teach you. Pictures of who God is, and what God has done for you, and who you are in Christ. As I've stood behind this pulpit many times doing funerals, as we come together, we not only remember the legacy of that person through eulogies and testimonies and family speaking, friends speaking, but then we always have that time where we remember that person through pictures, pictures of them as a child, pictures of them growing up, pictures of them maybe doing their hobbies, what they enjoyed, pictures with their family or maybe in their career setting. And we look at all these pictures that document their life. It reminds us of their history and where they've been, who they were. Well, the scriptures are literally that to you and me. They are a holy video, a holy photo album of God trying to reveal to you who he is. So the Old Testament 
is actually pictures that God provides of the person God would reveal through Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at it. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Today's sermon is kind of an introductory sermon. It's to set the stage for what we're going to see through holy pictures. We get to Matthew chapter 5, and you'll be surprised at how much the New Testament reveals this concept of the scriptures being a photo album more than a textbook. Look at it. Jesus said, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. In other words, Jesus is saying, I didn't come to get rid of a thing called Judaism. I didn't get rid of the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. We'll come back and see what that means. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus said, I came to fulfill it. They were accusing him of heresy, of trying to create some new religion, some kind of new teaching. He said, no, I didn't come to abolish the law, to put it to an end. And that's what some people think of when they hear the word fulfilled. It's now been fulfilled, so it's done. He said, it isn't done, but I have come to fulfill. That word fulfill means to actually fulfill, fulfill it, to be the answer to that which it was pointing to. He was reminding them that the law and the prophets weren't a bunch of words that were given to control our lives. Those words were given, those pictures were given, so we could see who God is and who he wants to be in our lives. So, let me give you a picture through Philip's example. Turn over to the Gospel of John and go to John chapter 1, verse 45. A lot of people take this big book, the Bible, and they see it as a book. And they see chapters, and they see lots of words, and they see a lot of words that are confusing, a lot of stories that they don't fully understand. And so they see it as this book of stories and words. That's not how Philip saw the scriptures. He understood why we had the word of God, and I want that to be a challenge for you in 2023. Look at it, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him, capital H. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. As he finds Nathanael, he doesn't say, hey, Nathanael, you want to see something I learned in the Bible today? He doesn't talk about a new fact. He doesn't talk about this book. He says all that we read about, all that was given to us through the law of Moses and all that the prophets spoke of, yes, they spoke to historical issues, they spoke to specific issues, but all of that was pulled together by God to give us a picture of a person, Jesus. He said, as we've seen in Scripture, we found the one that all of Scripture points to. You read the Old Testament, very few people read the Old Testament and see Jesus in it. Most people read the Old Testament and they see it as some old archaic books that don't make a single bit of sense, that don't relate to our lives today, and they forget it was all put together to point us to Jesus. I mean, how many of you, if I was to ask you for a favorite memory verse, how many of you have one from the book of Leviticus? Anybody? How about from the book of Numbers? Anybody? How about Lamentations? Anybody got a favorite verse from Lamentations? Got one? You're more spiritual than the rest of us, all right? God bless you. That's cool, all right? I want to hear it later on after the service. One person, right? We don't look at that, value those things. And here we find Philip saying, listen, my life has been changed. Because what I saw is what was the law of Moses or maybe prophets. 
I've come to understand that they all point me to one person, Jesus. So this year, in 2023, I want to take you through God's photo album. I want to take you through these pictures, and I want us to look into the Old Testament and look at the pictures that God gave us so like Philip, we can see one thing, my Jesus. The one who died on a cross, the one who was born in a manger that we just celebrated at Christmas, but the one who lives in your heart by faith. And we learn all of that through these blessed pictures. So don't look at the Bible and see it as a textbook to be studied. And I think we do an injustice when we call it Bible study. And we do. We study the Bible. We should study the Word. The Bible says study to show yourself approved. But if we make the Bible a textbook and not the photo album that it is, we miss the story. We miss Jesus. Don't let the Bible become a clunky old book of stories, but let it be a revelation to your journey of who Jesus is. How do we get there? Well, as I taught you last year, when you're reading scripture, you have to apply context, accurately handle the scripture. You should apply uh, historical context. When you go back and you read the Old Testament, there's history there. You need to know the history. You need to know why things were happening. We need to know how Israel ended up in Egypt. We need to know how they were in bondage to Pharaoh. We need to know that story because that story is actually a picture that teaches us how we can have our deliverance. And if you don't know the story, you'll never see the picture. And you'll never see Jesus. So you've got to see those things historically. You've got to have a cultural context. You've got to know what was happening in the culture of those days and what they were dealing with in their cultural context. You need to have a scriptural context. Whenever you're reading a Bible, you see a verse, you don't look at that one verse, but you need to make sure that truth that you think you're seeing there in that verse is seen throughout all of Scripture. That's contextual studying. But one I didn't give you that I should have always, whether you're in Genesis or all the way to Revelation, no matter what book of the Bible you're reading, here's the main context. Always read it through the context of the Jesus context group of guys that we're doing discipleship with right now we're reading the book of exodus we're doing that day, uh, each week and we're reading a chapter each week through the book of exodus we're not reading exodus, exodus for the history of israel and the history of moses we are reading exodus to find jesus alive in the photo album and so i'm going to encourage you to do that this year 2023 don't make a goal of reading through the bible don't read a goal to say this year i'm going to read every chapter in every book of the Bible in 2023, unless you take it through the Jesus context. I would rather see us make a goal this year of being in the Word and letting the Word reveal to us who Jesus is from Genesis to Revelation. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 24. If we just focus on the pictures, that would be religion. That's what happened to the Pharisees and the religious people of Jesus' day. They were more consumed with the pictures in Scripture, the do's and the don'ts, than they were why those pictures existed. Those pictures existed to point them to a person. Philip found it. The Pharisees missed it. If you look at the Bible just to be a bunch of pictures or stories, you miss the person of Jesus, you will have a religious experience, but you won't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus spoke about this, Luke 24, verse 44. He said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things that are written about me 
there in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus, after he had died for our sins, crucified, appears to his disciples, and he gives them these last words in the Gospel of Luke. He says, listen, everything you find in Scripture, whether it's in the law of Moses, the first part of the Old Testament, or you find it in the prophets as God would give revelation through prophets, or even the book of Psalms, the songs of the faith, all of those Jesus said were put together, were written about me. When was the last time you looked at the Old Testament and said, man, that's a, that's, that's a way I can discover who Jesus is? No, a lot of us look at the Old Testament and say, that's a bunch of stuff that I've got to go read and learn about Israel, learn about Moses, or learn about David. or learn." We've been missing the story. The story has always been and always will be about one main central character. His name is Jesus. So let's do that. Let's go back and let's look at these pictures. And that's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Guys, no, all of these, all of these were holy Polaroids that I gave to you so that you would know who God is. We live, this particular audience, lives in the selfie generation. All of our pictures are about us and about what happens in our world. But the scriptures are God's pictures about who he is what he has done, and what he wants to do in your life. Turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Jesus said it again this way. What Jesus is going to reveal to his disciples is, guys, I am the living Polaroid. Everything you have looked at in scriptures, you now see for real, real life. And see, that's the difference in this generation and mine. You now have Instagram. You have real live video footage and photos and things that are going on live and, and videos different than pictures. And Jesus said, I am the living photo. I am the one that all of these pictures have pointed to. Look at it, verse 7. He said, for if you've known me, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him because you have seen him. Well, Philip he gets all messed up with this. This is beyond his comprehension. He found out who Jesus was through the Old Testament, but now he's having a hard time understanding who the Father is. We mean we've seen the Father. We haven't seen him. None of us have seen God the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long? Here's what he said. Have I been with you so long, yet you've not come to know me? And said, well, I was talking about the Father. No, he says, if you've seen me, You've seen this picture, this Polaroid, this living Polaroid. You've seen God. There are a lot of people today that want to figure out God and they want to get lost in the Old Testament. And not even look at the Old Testament through that Jesus lens and they look at some weird stories and some weird things that go in there as man is trying to figure out, Israel's trying to figure out who this God is as well and it gets real messy. And so they have a messy picture of who God is. God becomes an angry old grumpy dude with lightning bolts. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you've seen me, you want to know who God is? Look to the living Polaroid. Look to the life of Jesus. Jesus said, you've seen the Father because the Father and I are one. There's only one God. We make this Old Testament angry God, and we make this Jesus in the New Testament, and we create two gods, and there is no such thing. There's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
So let's look to Jesus and let's realize that we can see Jesus not just in the New Testament, but we see him in all of Scripture. And then you find out who God really is. In John chapter 10, Jesus would give us this picture of how we can know God. And he uses a unique teaching. And he doesn't say in front of his audience, I am the Lord of creation. He is. He doesn't say, I am the holy, magnificent God in the flesh. Although he is. You know what he says to him? I am the good shepherd. What a, what a bizarre picture. But that's what he was doing is he was bringing a picture to them to get them to understand how we can have a relationship with a holy God. Not through a teacher, not through a rabbi, not through a king. But he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. They could understand it. Now, I don't know how many of you raised sheep in your lifetime, but they did. And they understood that picture, and they knew what it meant to have to lay down their life because if they didn't, if they didn't fight off every beast that was in the field and everything trying to steal their sheep, they would lose all their sustenance. They understood the sacrifice of a shepherd. In verse 14, he goes on to say, For I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. That word for know there is the same word that a husband and a wife experience, an intimate knowledge of one another that no one else on the planet has except those two individuals. They've become one flesh. And Jesus said, that's who I'm going to be for you. I'm going to be your shepherd. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And then we will have a relationship just like a husband and a bride. We will be one. You once were separated in sin. Now we'll be one because I'm going to lay down my life for you. There wasn't a more powerful picture that Jesus could have painted. And then he goes on to say this. And so my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. Nothing is going to take their life. Nothing is going to get to my sheep because I am the good shepherd. What a great picture. And if you understand that picture and you know what that picture paints, you see Jesus for who he really is and no longer can the enemy lie to you about your salvation. No longer can the enemy get you to doubt that you're going to lose something that he gave you through his death, burial, resurrection and what he protects to this very day because he is your good shepherd. What a beautiful picture. The power of a picture. Do you have that kind of relationship? Is Jesus your shepherd? Or do you just picture him as a God a million miles away? Do you just picture him as somebody who showed up and gave us a bunch of new good words to live by? Love our neighbor. Got it. Or do you see him as the living shepherd? This past few weeks through the holidays, we've had a great time as family. If you got to watch our family Christmas special online, you got to see me and Cammie with our grandkids. And we have a memory tree, and it's covered with photos. A lot of those go back to our old church building way back on 40th and Ann Arbor and, and when they were little kids in the preschool area and they made their little Christmas ornaments and brought them home like many of your children have done through our preschool ministry. And now they're hanging on a memory tree 30 years later. And we were able to go back with the grandkids and take them that memory tree and point out their parents when they were their age. And man, their eyes just lit up as they saw the history of their family, the power of those photos. And then this past week after Christmas, we started pulling out the old videos and we put those in and 
I got to show Haley uh, her, her kids. I got to show them their mommy being baptized when she was their age. And it blew them away to see their mom at age of seven picturing before a congregation through believers' baptism what God had done in her life. It was a beautiful picture. That's what baptism is. It pictures a reality of what God has done in our lives. And they got to see that. That's why we keep these things. You guys keep your photos on your phone and in the cloud. We used to have photo albums. Anybody heard of a photo album? They're really cool. I'll break them out of the museum. I'll bring them someday. You'll get to see one. It's really cool. And we like to go through those. Used to do reel-to-reels with my grandparents. There's all kinds of different ways throughout history. We've tried to remember our stories. And God gave us the greatest photo album ever known to man. It's called the Bible. And it wasn't there to bore you or to decorate your coffee table. It was there for you to go back and look at and see who he is, what he does, and what he wants to do in your lives. So God gave us pictures. Let me show you some of the first pictures that Israel got. Take your Bibles. You may have to look it up and figure out where it is. Go to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. It's not some gladiator from Rome. It's actually a book of the Bible, in case you didn't know it was there. Find Leviticus chapter 23. If you're having a hard time finding Leviticus 23, it's right after Leviticus 22. Find chapter 22. Go one more chapter. You'll get there. Find verse 1. You with me? You with me? Say, uh-huh. All right. The Lord spoke again to Moses. Uh-huh. As we go back and we'll do this, we're going to go back and look at this whole story, this time in history when Moses appears. God raises up a deliverer for the people. He is a picture of Jesus. He isn't Jesus, but he's a picture of what Jesus came to do for you and me. What he's going to lead them through is what Jesus leads us through. What they were experiencing is what we experienced. Israel was in bondage. You remember the story? Joseph, 400 years earlier, been sold by his brothers into slavery, ends up in Egypt. God uses his story, his obedience, and God raises him up to be second in command because a drought was coming to get the world's attention. A famine was coming. And he shows that to Joseph in a dream, in a vision. Joseph prepares the world by gathering up a storehouse for the famine. Well, the famine hits. People are without groceries, uh, without anything to sustain their life, and they all have to come into Egypt, even his brothers who sold him into slavery. There's this whole reconciliation that happens with Joseph and his brothers. They end up moving into Egypt, and they live there. And they continue to live there, and they start families, and they expand their families over 400 years. And 400 years later, we wake up, and there's a Pharaoh over Egypt who doesn't know Joseph, doesn't know the story, doesn't know how good he was. He only sees Israel as foreigners in his country who are now his labor force. And he enslaves Israel, and he's cruel. And the people cry out to God for their freedom. I did that when I was 17 years old. Not living in Egypt, living in Enid. Not because I was literally a servant to some cruel person, but because my heart was in bondage to sin. And my Pharaoh, the God of this world, Satan, was stealing, killing, and destroying in my life. And I cried out to God to set me free, and he did. You know how he did it? Same way he did it for Israel, through the blood of a lamb. We're going to study that starting next week 
But here we are. They now have been set free. We're reading Leviticus 23, and God continues to speak to Moses. And listen to what he said. He said, Moses, say this to my people. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. These are my appointed times. God says, Moses, pass this on. I'm going to create holy designated times on the calendar that are actually going to be holy pictures. I'm going to give you pictures of who I am and what I'm going to do for you. You are to remember what I have done, and you're also going to see what I'm going to do, and I'm going to give you these pictures called holy convocations. And he tells Moses to proclaim this. That word proclaim in the Hebrew is actually in the imperfect tense, which means you are to continually proclaim this. Not just one time, not just once a year, but throughout the year. Continually, every year you're on this planet, you are to gather your children and my children, the people of God, and you are to proclaim these pictures, these convocations. That word there for convocations, first of all, it's holy convocations. These are holy pictures. When we take our snapshots, our selfies, we are capturing the natural realm. When you look at the Bible and these pictures God's about to give us through the feast, you're going to see holy pictures, supernatural, beyond this. That's what that word holy means. It means different than the natural. It means set apart from. That's what holiness is. Set apart from unholy. That's why we have a separation from God in our sin that God made possible through his holy sacrifice. A great picture. He says you are to proclaim these holy convocations, these appointed times. These appointed times are things God has designated. Same way we have our pictures in the church today, we have two ordinances. Believer's baptism, which you got to see, uh, and Lord's Supper, which we got to participate last month in. Two pictures that don't save us, that don't make us right with God, but are pictures of how we become right with God. What an awesome picture of the baptism today, of a man who declared, I didn't have peace with God. And I believe that Jesus died for my sin. That's what's picturing as he goes down into the water. And I believe that he rose from the dead for my sin. And I've risen to become a brand new person. Not a better picture than believer's baptism. When we took the Lord's Supper, we remembered how we were saved. That it was through his broken body and his shed blood. A substitutionary death because he appeared not just as our good shepherd, but he also appeared as the Lamb of God. Another beautiful picture. And we remember that through those pictures. So now he tells Israel, I'm going to give you a series of pictures. Pictures that you probably have never looked at before. Pictures that are not things that only Israel should look to, but all of God's children should look at. We need to break out the photo album and we need to look at these feasts. And I ought to get a Baptist excited. I mentioned feasts, it ought to get you ready, especially around lunchtime, right? And it isn't about studying a bunch of food and meals because it's called the Lord of the feast, not the Jewish feast, not the pig outs, but the Lord of the feast. And we're going to see in these snapshots, these pictures, we're going to see the Lord Jesus like we've never seen him before. Verse 3 says, for six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day there's to be a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy 
convocation, a holy day where the people come together. That's why we meet on Sundays. It's our holy convocation. It's our holy assembly to meet together and to remember who Christ is and give him our worship. Verse 4, for these are the appointed times of the Lord. Holy convocations you are to proclaim at these appointed times. So what was he talking about? As I wrap up this introductory sermon, what he's going to reveal to them is three seasons of feast with seven different festivals. Take a look at this uh, picture if you can. Uh, and you can Google this. You can take a picture of it. This is kind of one I put together. Uh, what you find here is a bunch of different columns. The bar left column is the sacred calendar. They had two calendars in these days. If we're looking at cultural context, they had a sacred calendar. The first month of the sacred year was during March and April, the, the, the month of Nisan, which is Passover. Then you see, as it goes through, there would be the seasons of feast, uh, festival uh, through of Passover from March to May. Then you see the second season, which was Pentecost. That would go from May through September. And then the season of Tabernacles was from October all the way up through March. Then the second column is their civil calendar. And that's how that would work. Notice there's 13 months. Why 13 months? Because they had a different calendar than the Greco-Roman calendar. Their count, our calendar is built around how many times we make our way around the sun. They had a lunar calendar. It was based around getting around or how they experienced the moon. And so as a result, there was a discrepancy of days between uh, the lunar calendar and what we would consider our Greco-Roman calendar. And they would have to make up those days in the end of two, three, four years called the intercalary month. That was the makeup time, the makeup season. But don't get lost in the calendar Look at the order of the sacred calendar. They would teach their children the gospel and not even know it. They would teach their children not just about festivals to have, religious ritual things to do. They were teaching their children the gospel through three seasons. First season, the Passover. There is no life with God if we don't experience God through the Passover. We'll study that next week. After the Passover... After we experience God, the sacrificial lamb, and relationship through the blood of that lamb, we then have, now watch this, think about it, Jesus who fulfilled the law and the prophets, all that it points to, this gospel story, Jesus was crucified on a cross, he was buried in a grave, he rose again three days later, he sent his church into Jerusalem to wait in an upper room for the Holy Spirit, and on the day of what? When did Peter preach the first sermon? The day of Pentecost, second season. After the Passover comes Pentecost. After a season of Pentecost, then you have the season of Tabernacles. So let me show you on the next slide, and we'll close with this. Three things happen. It looks like a Monopoly board. It's not. Passover. When we study those pictures in the Old Testament, those pictures were given to us to see Jesus and how we can have peace with God through Christ. After Passover, and you experience the Jesus Passover lamb, you then get to experience the next season, which is Pentecost, when we receive the power of God. 
See, until you have the peace of God, it, it, Jesus didn't come just to give you peace with God. He also came to give you a holy power so that you could live here through this lifetime, through the power of God. And yes, the first part, you miss hell. You're saved. You have eternal life. The second, Pentecost, gives you the power not to experience hell on earth. So many people in the church stopped at Passover. They got them a Savior. They got a Passover lamb. But they don't experience God in Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then tabernacles will teach us and take us through, how do we live in this power? How do we walk every day with this Jesus, who is our Passover lamb, who is our good shepherd, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords? Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, that's where we're going. God's photo album. Every week, looking at new pictures looking at snapshots and not realizing those pictures are not picturing a religious activity or something that the Jews used to do or should do. It's our photo album from our Heavenly Father to His family on how we can know and walk with Jesus. I invite you to come back every week and study the pictures. But not for picture's sake, but for Jesus' sake that you this year, 2023, will come to know Jesus like never before. So let me ask you a question. As you start this new year, do you even know Jesus? And when I use that word know, I'm talking about what we talked about earlier, like a husband knows a wife. Do you have an intimate relationship with the Lord, or do you just have a head knowledge? There's two different knowings. There's head knowing and there's heart knowing. The Bible says in Romans 10, you must believe in your heart, not your head. I think probably everyone here this morning, mostly, maybe online, know in their head there is a God. But that doesn't mean you've ever surrendered your heart. On a stage just like this in Enid, Oklahoma, at the very same church where I would find or make my decision for Christ public, I made my decision public before a whole congregation of, I do to my wife. On that day, we entered into a holy covenant. We became man and wife, and we said, I do. It was also an awesome place at that same church where in a baptistry, I testified to the church congregation and many of my family and friends that I had made another commitment to my bridegroom, Jesus. Has that ever happened? Have you ever seen Jesus as the Lamb of God to take away your sin? Has there ever been a time you've called out to him and said, God, I need you to save me? If all you know is there is a Jesus, but he isn't your Jesus, today, trust him. See, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what, I didn't either. But a preacher helped me understand it is a step of faith. It is placing your faith in the one who died for your sin. It's a surrender of your life. So that day I opened the door of my heart and I said, Jesus, come in, save me. And he did. Do you need that, Jesus? If you do, right where you are, you can pray and say, Lord, save me. Lord, I turn from my sin. I invite you into my heart. Save me. The Bible says if you just prayed that, God is faithful to answer that prayer. Whoever will call in the name of the Lord, he will save. If that was you, I hope you'll come to one of our staff who will be here in the front. 
Share that with them. We want to celebrate with you. What a great picture to show this congregation what God's done in your heart today. If you've done that online, email us. We want to help you and we want to know and we want to celebrate with you and give you some material to grow in that relationship. Maybe you need to start off a new year and say, we've been looking for a church family and this is where we need to plug in. We will receive you as a new member as you come today. We invite you to come. If you have another decision for Christ, you can come. Let me pray for you. When we stand, if you need to come for any of those reasons or something else, I invite you to come. Lord, may we celebrate you in this moment with our obedience and with our surrender. I pray that you would shepherd every heart and show them exactly the next step they need to, sh- to take right now. Lord, be the Lord of these next few moments. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.